And we are back here once again with another episode of the Iron Man podcast, episode 219 with Mr. Ying Yan Zhao. Actually, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I am awesome. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Uh, it's usually when I do these second appearances, most of the time, the first time is always breaking the ice. And the second time, it's like letting your kids go to college and see the <laughs> world. And they come back and like, Dad, I gotta tell you all these stories. And I'm like, okay, let's uh let's do the therapy session where they tell you all about how much the world sucks and why politicians are trash or <laughs> why the world is just on fire for the most part. But you know, uh it's crazy how like certain people will just tell you it's not happening when it's literally happening right in front of your face. I just never understood that for the most part. Why would someone willingly lie about stuff you can tangibly see with your own eyes? Actually, it's <laughs> Well, my mind. Oh, uh, well, uh, that's easy. Uh, you can go back to communist countries and look at uh, why they would do that. Uh, and it's power um, because there are certain people who want to show you that they're so powerful, they can blatantly lie to you and nothing will happen to them. Yeah, that's what I've noticed, too. There's people that are like they have so much influence where they know if they just could just, I don't know, basically just say anything. It just doesn't matter anymore. Because they know they'll have just this wave of brain-dead NPC fans that just believe anything they say anyway. <laughs> they don't even look into it. They're just like, oh, yeah, it's a person I trust. They're telling the truth. Which, realistically, I think should be a thing. We should have people that we trust, that we believe, because sure. they're telling us the truth. But that's not how life functions. I wish people would like understand that life doesn't really function like that. Because everyone just acts on their own self-interest and their needs first. And they don't care at all about anything else but that specific thing you know <laughs> yeah that's true i mean um you know if you i don't know when we look at media these days you got to remember everything is alive from the beginning right like <laughs> you you're watching a movie and you think you're watching somebody walk across right. uh the street or something no you're watching a still image uh mm -hmm. and you're watching a bunch of still images that are projected very quickly uh, to fool you into thinking mm. you are watching somebody walk across the street. But, you know, if you if you take the premise that like, okay, what's uh, what's the lie in this? Then, <laughs> you know, it, in a lot of ways, it frees you up because you know everything, everything is sort of wrong. Uh, you know that uh, even people, even people who are, who are, uh, more or less good and trustworthy, you know, they still have their own bent. Uh, if you like, let's say you're, you're promoting a comic book, you know, you're always going to say the book is good. Even if you know, like, uh, yeah. well, this page could be better. That could have been done better. Of course you're going to say it's the greatest thing ever. Right. <clears throat> that inherent biasness is always there. I, I learned that in, um, well, that I was first accustomed to that in Yu-Gi-Oh where, mm -hmm. Someone who would like buy certain Yu-Gi-Oh products because people generally buy the newest products to open the cards up to potentially sell them or have them trade or whatever, right? Even if it's a bad product, that not even just objectively, it's just you could tell this is tangibly just terrible. No objective or subjective. Even if they know that, they know that they overspent on a bad product, so they have to gaslight themselves into believing they actually spent money on a good product. <laughs> And then miraculously, yeah. maybe if the product surprisingly triples in value with a lot of the cards in there, because that's how the Yu-Gi-Oh market works sometimes. A set could be like really dog shit right now, but in like two years, based on what Konami is going to do, 
it could increase in value. But I'm telling people, yeah, that is probably that could possibly happen, but that doesn't make the decision you made right now good. That was just pure luck. That's just what that was. You just lucked out because that is that was a that was a bad decision you made. You know, but we're yeah. seeing that now so much, man, where people have to somehow gaslight themselves into believing stuff that just isn't true because they just can't fathom that it could be this bad potentially, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think uh, part of it has to do with society in general. If you go back like 40 years or so, like everybody watched the same shows. So mm-hmm. if you were watching um, MASH or The Cosby Show or <laughs> even later in the 90s, Friends, like everybody saw that episode. And the next week you could talk about it. Whereas now like things are, are targeted at such small sections of the market, right? Mm-hmm. Like you'll have like a crossover fantasy historical mm-hmm. drama or something um, that, you know, people are still like in the same mindset that like, Oh, everybody knows this thing. Everybody likes this thing. Uh, when it's like, no, it's just you and your very small circle of friends. Um, but they act like everybody should Mm -hmm. like it they act like everybody should know it so then they they have this belief and if somebody's like yeah you know that's fantasy romance is not my thing uh they start acting like uh you're crazy like you're a hater you know you're you're out to get their their personally held beliefs so one person that i had on that explained it Mm -hmm. to me i I guess the best way you could probably bring it up is Pure factor, and these guys are spending a lot of money on this stuff. Just from the yeah. studio point of view, they're spending a lot of money on this stuff. So they don't want like the the regular Tom Dick and Harry's on the interwebs to be like, oh, th- this is garbage. Don't support this because remember they're they they spend a lot of money on this, so they have to make a lot oh, of yeah. money on these products. And it's something that people don't even understand about business. And I think watching Shark Tank back all those many years when I did watch it showed me a lot of stuff about how a royalty deal works, how mm-hmm. making money isn't really making profit. A lot of people still confuse yeah. that. Like, but it made money. It's like, but no, 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 no. Yes, a business existing should just make money because it exists. That, that doesn't mean you're actually making profit. Profit, for instance, know this, profit is the money you keep after all the expenses are paid. After you've so you have you have to basically make money to get to profit. It's kind of the easiest way of explaining that. No one wants to break even. Breaking even essentially means you're a loser. No one wants that. If you break even, yep. that that is the epitome of just a loss. But, but people say, isn't breaking even means you didn't win? It also means you lost. Breaking even just didn't mean you win. It also means you lost. And it's more going to be a loss because given how like most financials work, you're paying out the mm-hmm. ass for a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Especially, so, uh, you know, people uh, on the West Coast or in New mm-hmm. York State, New Jersey. That's brutal out there. Oh, yeah. And. It's also interesting seeing like people like Bob Iger have these like interviews where he's like saying all this stuff and you're just sitting here going like, I, I just, cause like, and, and what part of my depraved human mind still to this day, I want to believe that these people are actually saying what they truly feel and not just saying it. Cause that's w- what he feels like people want to hear. Cause he mentioned earlier today, there's, there's a quote mm-hmm. from uh, one of the articles places that i follow on twitter that he said they're making too many sequels and they're only going to green light sequels to movies they feel like have a strong story and connection to like the characters but that should always have been the case though because you look at them in like captain marvel and like captain marvel is the word of mouth in that movie is really bad like it's rare you'll Mm -hmm. find someone that actually genuinely likes that so then obviously without that was kind of greenlit when he was he was still there 
when it was green lighted. Captain Marvel, well, the Marvels, yep. which we now is when we know, because Bob Chapek took over in 2020. So he was there when they greenlit the sequel to the Marvel uh, Captain Marvel. So if that is a mindset he already has and knows about, why do we get sequels like, I don't know, Toy Story 4? Why does Toy Story 4 exist? Why does movies like Zootopia, which is a pretty nice cult classic they have that came out in a more modern era, yep. people like that movie. Why is that getting a sequel? Why is there a Frozen 4 when there have been – they announced a Frozen 4 and there's been no writing done on that at all. It's just they announced it because, oh, that, that's what people like by Frozen, right? So like, well, what's going I, on? <laughs> yeah, um, this has been – well, first of all, this isn't a new phenomenon because oh, if yes. you go back yeah. to the 90s, uh, like there's the Brady Bunch movie, the Beverly Hillbillies movies. So they're always looking for these old IPs that still have mm-hmm. fans. Um, and to an extent that makes sense, because if mm-hmm. you're going to spend a few hundred million dollars to make a film, you want to be sure that there's some possibility for a return. Um, and this is this is one of the problems with Hollywood is if you went back, let's say in the 80s, you would have like that's when they really started like with the summer tentpole movies, but you would really only have like one or two per studio. Um, and then you had a lot of like middle, middle budget movies, you know, that now would probably be like a 30 million, $40 million movie, fairly low cost, but you'd have a nice story, like a drama or whatever. But those pretty much all got cut out um, by the time you hit the, the late two thousands. And so everything has to be these hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. So if you're going to spend that much money, it makes sense that you want to hedge your bets to get some return. The problem that they really came up with is, um, well, one, when you're doing the sequel trap, um, it's that they always make it pretty much the same as the first one because people like the first one. Uh, So it's going to be like the same thing, just with like slightly different, like the bad guy will be a woman or a younger guy or something like that. Um, But uh, the other big problem is uh, something weird happened where uh, you start getting all these woke movies and basically their whole thing is pissing off the fan base. Like that's what they're really interested in doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And almost all of those movies have crashed and burned. So the question is like, how many years of this do these studio heads get uh before they finally start saying like hey you know we tried insulting people before and it completely destroyed our ip um why why are we letting these people write movies that way again uh so i i don't know what happened with that but i mean to answer the question of you know why did they keep making sequels and whatnot well they made money before and they're banking on that audience coming back which i i don't think that's going to happen Oh, sorry, the motorcycle outside. Hi. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting with the Marvels, too, because that was really a sucker bet to begin with. The only reason the original Captain Marvel did well is because it was sandwiched between Thor, Love and Thunder and um, Infinity War. So you had to. Yeah, it was between Endgame and Infinity War. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, people are going to go watch that even yeah. if it's trash because <laughs> they've invested 10 years or 
Yeah, no, I think it was 11 years since Iron Man won. Well, it's uh, also and- the landscape was so much different back then that people don't, yeah. don't even bring up. So, like, in their conversations, people will bring up that Captain Marvel made a billion dollars while also not mm-hmm. mentioning the first thing you mentioned, which is, well, it's kind of – this is also why context is very important because people also seem to lack any layer of putting out any side of context in their conversations to the point where – because, like, people, having context warps how you think about something because if you didn't know the piece of context added to it, you're just going to think some general narrative is just there. So if, so if you say something like, well, Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. That is true. Sandwiched between two Infinity War movies. Yeah. Yeah, see, that really changes how it works, though, because – you kind of factor in what if you put up that movie kind of before those two Avengers movies does it make a billion dollars and based off how the Marvels performed, we know that would not be the case though. Cause as you, yep. cause this is what, what the studios have identified, which I do agree with them. This is a point, but they're looking at it from a, just a, a, such a bad way. So the show media for them, a lot of them, people like screen rant, all those other lower tier guys that are just mm-hmm. basically just get on their knees for these studios they did bring up an interesting point i told people hey if you bring up a good point i don't like your opinions i'll still it's all just good their point is people don't really go and support superhero movies for characters they don't actually know okay so even if that that's true let's say that is why do they keep making stuff for characters no one knows the mc is still doing that now we're gonna have a thunderbolts movie don't know anybody who knows who the fuck that group is agatha harkness tv show don't know who I don't know anybody who really cares about Agatha Harkness like that. Deadpool 3, okay, there you go. You have that one. Captain America 4, yeah, that's not going to be uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America. That's going to be Sam Wilson' Captain America. That literally what the audience doesn't like, which is called a bait and switch. They actually don't like that. They, yep. people, have said, I, people have firmly mentioned they don't like that. Then they also have, what other what else coming out? Sentry is going to be in Thunderbolts. Ray swapped. Stephen Young's going to play that. When people find that out, because you know now we're just talking, this is a general, but we know the stuff, but they don't. Mm-hmm. Don't know Stephen Young's gonna be Century. They find that out. Oh my god, that that's gonna be pretty bad. Like, if they identify that that's an issue, and that like can, that that can definitely be a contributing factor to why people don't want to go see something they just don't know. Like Black Adam, like DC has that too. Black Adam came out, no one really yep. knew what that character really was, didn't do so well. Why do we keep getting characters? Why do we keep getting getting movies for characters no one really knows? If you think the better way of getting them known as doing a TV show, you do the TV show route. I think superhero TV could be a whole lot improved. There could be def- – that's what I think superhero TV should be for. Characters yeah. that are re- relatively unknown, you can take that longer form storytelling with them and make sure they can hit with people. Happen with characters like – I mean, Stargirl. Recently, people started liking Stargirl, the TV show, season one. I watched it. Season two was a little bit boring but wasn't terrible. Still pretty solid for the most part. I just don't get why – what is the reason of giving underrated characters movies and they know people don't lo- like just go and support that? Cause I don't know who the character is. That would make perfect sense. Why do we keep, it's, it's this weird cycle. They keep doing things and they know the issue. They keep doing the issue and then they keep failing. They're like, well, I don't know, man. It's like, I wasn't even the guy doing this. I don't know what happened. How, how could this keep happening? It's like, what's going on, yeah. man? <laughs> well, I, I like to call it the guardians of the galaxy syndrome. Uh, because Guardians of the Galaxy was the one group that people didn't, yeah, like nobody really knew. Did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> but that sort of goes back to why that movie worked, and that was because James Gunn. He made that. Uh, it was different from the other Marvel movies, and people sort of forget in the beginning, um, all the Marvel movies were very different. Uh, you had Iron Man, yeah. which was actually gritty and a lot closer to uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman Begins. Like mm-hmm. Iron Man's just blowing up tanks, killing people in the Very first Iron Man. Comic book runs like Demon in the Bottle, stories like that. The, you know, yeah. something people actually like about his character. 
Like, yeah, you're right. Iron Man 1 is much different from something like the first Thor movie. Has that Shakespearean feel to it because well, Kenneth exactly. Branagh did it. Crazy the first Thor movie is done by Kenneth Branagh. That's the only good one because he actually understood how Thor is the character, at least from that, like, an aesthetic point of view. Yep. Uh, and then you got Captain America First Avenger is uh, like a Johnson. World War II movie. Uh, yeah. And then uh, when he comes back for Winter Soldier, which is my favorite of the series, um, it was very much uh, like a political action thriller. Yeah. Um, so you really had all these different sort of genres going on within the Marvel movies. But after James Gunn comes in in the and the success of Guardians of the Galaxy, you start seeing all the movies become very homogenized. Um, so, you know, by the time we get to Infinity War, they're kind of boring. Um, now, I enjoyed uh, Infinity War and... Um, Endgame. Oh, my God. I'm, Endgame, thank you. Uh, I, I enjoyed them, but they, you know, it's like too many people joking around um nothing is serious and i think that's the problem once you get into phase four they said oh it doesn't matter who we bring in um either on the directing side or on the character side uh it's just going to be boring like uh even that black widow movie the first 20 minutes were fantastic that's yeah, they like really are yeah it, you know we wanted to see natasha romanoff mission impossible that's yeah. all you needed to do and nope they couldn't do it What's also interesting, dude, I was uh, going to the gas station before the show to get to get mm -hmm. some drinks. And I was thinking to myself, there was bad in the MCU before that people really highlighted. The issue that – the reason why people kind of let that slide in a more mm -hmm. way that they won't do now is because you you knew the journey you were on. You knew you were going to yeah. get to Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. Because movies like Iron Man 2 are like, Ugh, I don't know about this one. The Incredible Hulk of Edward Norton. People try to retcon history. Not tell that was always a really good movie. It's like, I don't know about that. And you get to um, Iron Man 3, that's pretty bad. Though the Dark World is, is pretty bad. Like, the first mm -hmm. M movie is actually pretty solid. The first M movie, I actually like that one a lot. M and the Wasp is, why does that yeah, even I, exist for the most part? <laughs> what is that even for? Like, it, it's weird because people knew they were on this journey with the MCU. So the bad movies that came out, I'm not saying they got a pass. People always highlight how bad they were. It was more like, okay, I know where my end goal is. Now, yeah, exactly. when it comes to Phase 4, now you have constantly bad movies. There's no overarching narrative about where, where we're trying to hit at and we're just getting movies for characters we don't even care about nor like and the mm -hmm. actors and the acting is the storytelling has been really bad like out of all the phase four stuff phase five stuff now can you really think about at least a few of them that you genuinely enjoyed from start to finish the only ones that i genuinely enjoyed from mm -hmm. start to finish was falcon and winter soldier outside of that political the whole like the speech at the end where you're saying do better senator and the villains i enjoyed no way home and I was okay with Shang-Chi on for the most of it, other than like the cringe acting from Aquafina. But that's like three uh, projects though. Doctor Strange 2 yeah. kind of misses the ball on most things, and everything else is just kind of just meh. You know? Yeah, I mean, No Way Home uh definitely is is the standout of phase four. Oh <laughs> pretty easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you I don't know. Now that you mentioned it. Let's see. I, 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 I only watched like ten minutes of Eternals. I just couldn't. I oh, couldn't. I sat through the whole thing and wanted to slip my throat. <sighs> Maybe I have more tolerance than most people do. It was terrible. Sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, Shang Chi. I wasn't a big fan of. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, 
it see that should have been you like a total... love, love and thunder what is love and thunder oh. for love and thunder is just it's just back and i know people tell me how i'm just negative on these movies it's like i go to these movies for the most part opening thursday nights the only time i can really get off to go to them or friday mm-hmm. i spend my hard-earned money on these movies and when i'm telling someone hey we're, everyone this is not just applied to me it's applied to you and anyone who's watching you're working really hard you go to the movie you pay your ticket, you get your popcorn or whatever, you're sitting down, you want to get entertained, you want to see a good product. Then Absolutely. you have people who would willingly not go and support the movies. They go like, man, can't wait to download this movie off uTorrent and Pirate Bay, who wouldn't even bother willingly spending their money on this stuff, although just wait till streaming. That'll say, hey, I don't care what you think about this movie, you're an insta bigot. And it's like, the same person wouldn't even have went to the theaters to support the movie when it dropped. Like, I- I just find that so crazy how even if you go and watch and you give your genuine opinion, it's always going to be considered bad or negative. Even the person that's criticizing you isn't even going to go watch it themselves. They're just going to wait for Pirate Bay to have it. I just find that yep. so crazy. Happens with comic books too. People were going to say, no, this this comic book is – this person is reviewing it. It's racist. Did you willingly buy that book? No. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh that that's one of the big problems is mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's great if, if people like a certain character and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um and, and they can like all sorts of things that I don't like. However, mm-hmm. if they're not willing to put their money where their mouth is, and sometimes, you know, God bless them, they they really can't afford it, that's fine. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, you can't expect the industry to cater to you a non-paying person when there's all these people who are willing to you know part with a few bucks mm-hmm. why wouldn't why shouldn't the industry cater to them mm-hmm. like you know? that's the that's the thing is it I, I understand times are tough and if you got to go through that to get your entertainment it's fine mm-hmm. but i i just hate how there's this weird conundrum of people who think just because they watched a movie that they're just not understanding that people can have different experiences from them. Like everyone can have a different experience in watching a movie, but it's much different having an experience with a movie actually going to the theater and paying for it versus, yeah, I don't know, you touring it on your computer. That's way different, obviously. They're, they're much more invested going to the theater after work, taking your kids, getting the gas for your vehicle to go, yep. you know, all the, all, the, all the finances that involves getting there. It's a completely different mindset about how you even feel about the movie itself. And if the movie's really good, it elevates your experience. If the movie's really bad, you're like, yeah, I don't know about this. I just went and saw the creator. That was by uh, the guy who did the 2014 Godzilla movie. It was Garrett Edwards, mm-hmm. right? He, did, he also yeah, did yeah, yeah. one as well. Creator is a... Uh, it's it's for sure a movie. I'll say that. Oh yeah, was it good? <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. It's a weird. Uh, so basically, the idea is AI and humans coexisting. Mm-hmm. So like, you know how the, the, there's this big push on um, AI art right now. So uh, it yeah. would be the it, it would be kind of the incentive of like if AI existed with humans, like could we have like AI humans that'll interact with us? Could we, could we also have relationships with them? That's kind of the general premise of it. It's, I would say it's the worst movie ever. It's just more like the concept is there. The, the, it's just the storytelling and the characters. Oh, you know, if you don't like Eternals, Jimmy Chan is in that movie as well. And Jimmy Chan is, it's just so I awful. like Jimmy Chan. What? Really? No way. Oh. I thought she's so bland. <laughs> Maybe it's just in those movies. She was in. Uh, I thought she did a decent job in Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich, 
But that's yeah, yeah. She was. I saw that. I actually liked that movie. It's crazy that that's not gotten a sequel that did great for Warner Brothers. But that that's a different story because that has that's the oh god that is a mess and a half about that. Good lord, man. Do you you know the story based around that? That is just so Uh, awful because basically they got mad that mm -hmm. the male writers made more on the movies than the female writers did. The director Uh, didn't like that, so that's. It's been just a shit show since then. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll ask you, uh, what have you been doing since last time we talked, actually? Oh, man. Been so busy. Um, just uh, getting the channel back together. Uh, mm-hmm. I was on hiatus for a year, not too long before we talked. So getting mm-hmm. things running up. Uh, mostly been doing interviews, but I've got, uh, starting in January, I've got uh, comic reviews, movie reviews, and uh, more gaming reviews. Um, branching out, I've got a, a a lot of Dungeons and Dragons videos on the channel, but uh, okay. branching out a bit more. We're going to be talking about other IP, for example, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, Stars Without Number. Uh, so just a lot of very different variety. Uh, I got a Dread series. Uh, I'd like to play, which I like to call the gateway drug to role-playing games. <laughs> um, uh, so I call it that because most people think of like nerdy Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. You're rolling dice and doing a lot of math. Uh, but in this, when Dread, you play with a Jenga tower. So every time you're, uh, you know, it's a role-playing game. So you make decisions on what your character is going to do. And uh, instead of like, you know, in D&D, be like, okay, roll a D20 and add this number to it. Uh, you have to pull a brick out of the Jenga tower and put mm-hmm. it on. Uh, so it's great because a lot of the stories are kind of like 80s horror themed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like um, could be like you're, you're being chased uh, mm-hmm. by a creature in the woods or you, everybody in the group wakes up uh, in a, in a decommissioned insane asylum or something like that. And, uh, you know, you got to try to escape and you're, you're making decisions trying to get out of there. And it's great because as that Jenga tower gets up, as the game goes on, like mm-hmm. it gets real, real tense, really helps to build up the emotion for the game. So what is now making you feel a lot more reinvigorated to put out more content in 2024 after your hiatus? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Well, um, I, I had a hiatus for a number of personal reasons. And also mm-hmm. I've been working on, uh, my own, uh, campaign guide for, which is Dungeons and Dragons related, uh, but mm-hmm. empire of the undying sun. So I'm probably about 85, 90% done, uh, with a good first draft. So I'm hoping to launch it next year. Uh, so the pressure's off on that a little bit. And now I can really come back and uh, concentrate on uh, mm-hmm. getting out some good content. And, um, you know, it's um, even though I like making the other videos, uh, I really like having people on my channel, going on other people's channels. Uh, for me, it's always an education, uh, no matter how, I guess you'd say, big or famous uh, somebody is. Um, you know, it's great to be able to pick their brain. But I think when you have uh, a lot of people who are new and whatnot, you know, they mm-hmm. also have thoughts on the industry and on how things should work. So I like hearing from them too. Um, and you know, part of it is you, you talk to all these people and you never know where anybody's going to be in five years. You know, they, they could have gone from like a, who's that 
to just a household <laughs> name, you know? Right. So uh, it's, for me, it's a great opportunity just to pick other people's brains. Well, now that I've gotten into doing, like I say, let's say live streaming or let's say podcasting mm -hmm. more, I realized all the benefits that both have. Cause I know a lot of people always kind of look at doing these kind of long form content. It's like, isn't that kind of just, isn't that more extraneous? Well, yes and no. So there, there's audiences for both and they can be intermingled too. People always think it's one or the other. YouTube is primarily more a video platform. It's they're always going to yeah. be like that. And I, I was told, Hey, I would start out doing videos. So that's going to get you more traction, but doing podcasting or live streaming or gaming streams is, is not bad before on youtube it was really really bad like before it was yeah. people don't know you did a live stream on youtube but that didn't have a nice replay value and people didn't watch that after it went up they actually unsub people from your channel they actually punished your channel for live stream back in oh the yeah day. It's, it's much different now compared to what it used to be so live streaming now is a lot more beneficial on youtube than it was back in the day because that's why you saw youtubers create a twitch channel like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm live streaming over here on Twitch. Come follow me over here. Now that's not the case. And streams do very well on YouTube now because you can watch your favorite YouTuber. He's your favorite YouTuber. You just put in the background and just watch for a bit. And yep. I also people, even on my main channel, before it got you know, asked because of hate speech, you know, leftist, right? <laughs> Fucking Democrats. The, my most popular things in the channel are always solo videos. Like the, the chances of a viral podcast going is much, much smaller than a video. So if you put out a video yeah. talking about whatever, there's a good chance that video does, a, I would say, double the amount of views your streams ever do, essentially. There's always there, – mm -hmm. there's there's no real limit to what a video can do. Streams actually – or podcasts have limits to them, essentially. You yeah. know, like reach how much someone really wants to invest into listening to someone because people always bring up – the bigger people that they like watching, but the, the difference with a bigger person, someone like a butt fuck Joe blow. Nobody is. They like that bigger person. No one's going to essentially like you to listen to you and give you their time initially up front. You could listen mm -hmm. to people like, I don't know, just Eric July, for example, if you're going to listen to him, yeah. the whole stream start to finish. Cause they like him. You're not going to have that benefit. So doing videos initially to make people get you on board with what they're trying to do. It's a lot more easier. I know people do podcasts to get to a thousand subs. I think that's, that's just not what I would ever do. You know, I think videos no, have a much more yeah. better reach and I'd rather just do that as an easier form of getting my thoughts out there in this specific short form of content. Now, if there is podcasts you want to do to reach out and subs, go for it. I'm not saying you can't. It's better on YouTube to, to do that now, but it's it's going to be hard, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it all depends on what you, on what you want. Uh, so, mm -hmm. for example, if the goal is to build up a channel, build up an audience, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, have, having guests on and stuff is is not going to build you up as nearly as fast as making videos about certain topics. Uh, shorts are really big now. Um, those will help to add, uh, to your, to your, uh, subscriber list. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people though, uh, are able to use the streams, uh, with guests, um, if you're monetized. So they'll have lots of super chats. You'll get subscribers because they want to participate in these conversations as well. So I think, if you're using it to make money, uh, of course, my channel is not monetized and uh, I doubt it ever will be. Um, but, uh, you know, that's certainly a possibility that a lot of people do, you know, especially if you're a, a creator and you want to create comics, you want to create games or whatever. Um, not putting all your eggs in one basket is certainly a good thing. So, you know, if you get money from your book and then you get a little bit of money from uh, you know, your YouTube channel and money from merch and that, uh, I think it really helps 
to diversify things out of its business. But uh, yeah, you're totally right. Um, now, the one thing that I have discovered that actually uh, is kind of nice is when you have guests on, um, usually you can clip like a 30 second to one minute yeah. piece, mm-hmm. and then you can go and use that in the shorts. Uh, which, you know, of course you can not only use on uh, YouTube shorts, but you can take that clip, uh, Instagram, uh, TikTok, you know, any of the, uh, Twitter, any of those other platforms, and it makes for nice content for there. Um, yeah. And I, and I do think that the, uh, you know, in terms of difficulty for me, it's always takes more time to like plan out a video. Like if I want to if I want to do a review of a certain book or something, I have yeah. to think about it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, like, That's what okay, I generally am do. I, yeah, yeah. Am I being fair? And then like, I'll write an mm-hmm. outline and then I'll go through and then I'll like have to edit the video to like take out mm-hmm. all the terrible ums and everything. Uh, so, you know, doing a live stream, it, it certainly is to me less strenuous mm-hmm. uh, because all I got to do is think of a few questions for the person. Um, and then, you know, once they're there, and it's done, like, that's it. I don't really have to think about it again. The other thing that people don't see when it comes to live streaming is if you kind of wanted mm-hmm. to do topics, just like John Campia does, you could just do them yep. in the stream, then clip all the segments out, and then upload them, upload them as individual videos. That's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I told people before, I never didn't like that approach. I really always enjoyed the idea. The problem mm-hmm. here is back in the day, I always couldn't bank on someone's mic not fucking up at a single point. So I thought to myself, <laughs> that's so, true. Like, because I, I, everyone knows, I, I will literally heat a show if the audio, if I think it's just shit or I think the audio is bad. Like we, we were doing a show a few weeks ago, and I, I thought I looked at myself, I was like, this is straight dog water. This is bad. We're getting rid of this. People are like, why'd you get rid of it? I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was shit. It was terrible. You, you have to be in that mindset, yeah. like something like making a book, creating a comic book or whatever. You have to be in the mom, a mindset of like, is that the best thing you could have put out? And if. You have, and this thing that most people don't understand when they're new to this stuff is valuing your time and having efficient time in what you're trying to put out. So if you think your time is more better suited, doing a one-hour podcast, talking about whatever topics, clip all the, mm-hmm. all three topics out or one or two or however many you want to do, up them, upload them all as individual videos. So now you have your own show. Now you have videos coming yep. out. You have a double perspective on it. But if you only have time for one video, try to think about what your video is, topic, thumbnail think about all that stuff in advance try to package it in a way where when you finally do it you, it comes out the way you want that's how, that's what i'm doing i've never really wrote a script i was kind of just thought about it when i was at work i'm like okay how do i how do i want this video to start what is the most important thing i need to bring up yep. versus what the last thing i need to bring up i always try to make sure there's three main points because anything after three my brain just goes like oh my god i can't remember anything <laughs> just i just get old at that point <laughs> yeah i um i don't like writing out a script uh, just because to me, it never sounds natural. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like somebody's reading a script, but I, I definitely have to create an outline because mm-hmm. I will absolutely forget what I started to say after a couple <laughs> minutes and I need something to like, oh yeah, yeah, that thing. Hmm. What I also hate is doing a video and you, when you, you'll watch someone else's video similar to yours mm-hmm. and they'll bring up the very thing that you always wanted to bring up in yours as a main thing, but you forgot it. That was my biggest regret yeah. back in the day was I would watch someone else's video similar to mine and they would bring up the very thing that I knew was a main point I wanted to bring up. So that's why I make sure to make sure I think about the video, bring up, uh, write out certain points and make sure I want to talk about because that's the worst feeling ever doing a video and then forgetting that main thing you wanted to bring. You're like, ah, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, yeah, I yeah. got to a point where I, I just started like I, I I'll just delete a video if I didn't bring up the main point that I want to bring up. I'm like, no, I'll just I'd rather just do it again, make sure it's a complete product than just throwing something out there, you know. And people are yeah. saying you have to have a the best intro or outro. I suppose, man, it, it's crazy how people feel like they have to have everything perfect. No, all you need is a good mic. And yeah, having your videos yep. look a certain way, like obviously showing a level of professionalism is good. People are always right, gonna right. think that's a nice thing. It's a nice aesthetic to have. It's also make I'll say anyway, make the channel look better. I, you go to some people's channels and like their channel banners are not looking good. The the logos look kind of not as good as it could be. It's something similar to like like Walmart. Walmart looks good from a physical aspect of outside the building, right? It's big. Mm-hmm. Colors are bright. The logo's great. You like the aesthetic of it. I'll say anyone's watching this, think about that for your own whatever channel, your Twitch channel, YouTube, Rumble, whatever you have. Make the outside look good. So sometimes you go to people's YouTube channels and they're just, they just look like shit. Not because the content's yeah. bad, but their aesthetics look bad. I don't know what the person's uploaded in the last two days. I don't know what they've done recently. I don't know if you even have a presence on your own YouTube channel, you know? Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I think uh, I think YouTube is one of those things where people just sort of like uh, sort of like you're wading out into the ocean. Like when most people try it, they're just like, oh, well, I'll just see what happens. And the you know, they're recording on their cell phone or like awful audio, awful video. And then like after a few videos, they're like, oh, this is kind of nice. And then they start to get serious. And it for most people, I think it takes a little while before they sort of hit that that feeling you know like you said where you're like oh you know i i really gotta step it up i gotta have a little more respect for myself yeah and what my did it for me and- was um someone told me could you watch your own videos back and i thought to myself back in the day i was like no i that just that blew my mind who i forgot who the hell that person was but that person changed my life when he said that and that's when i started looking at doing things better and i i went through a lot of growth with this too this is what this was obviously not the final product you see right now, it's not the final, it's not the beginning product mm-hmm. when I first started. But when someone said that, I was just like, wow, that's true. If a person, you can't watch your own videos, how can you expect somebody else to? Like, if you can't watch your own shit, no one else is going to do it. The other, yep. other, other important aspect that I figured out that my friend, White Joe Paisano, helped me with is the thumbnails, actually. Look, thumbnails are the main driving factor into why someone would even like click on your video. Most of you click mm-hmm. on the videos because the thumbnail looks good. Your mind just intensely goes, oh, it's beautiful. I'm clicking on it. And I, was very, and I still sort of struggle with it to myself sometimes. I know I get some pretty good impressions through click-through right now. But before, I was just throwing up any random jank thumbnail, like 20 words in the thumbnail, just really, really bad. I found out what works really good now is just a picture, nice little saturation, brightness, and a few words. Yep. That's it. The title can be long, but the actual thumbnail needs to just be precise, clean, and cohesive. That's all you need actually. Yeah. And and I think if you can get that right, it will really separate you from all the other thumbnails, which are generally like some (laughs) random frame from the video or don't, you know, yeah. People will use their phones for thumbnails. I'm like, no, you, you gotta be a little bit more professional. Thumbnails off your phone will look like crap. You can't do like, I took people, this is the the best one. I always say is get Photoshop. It does pretty much everything you want it to essentially like uh, the people that buy stuff through fiber. Well, people mm-hmm. through Fiverr do that stuff through Photoshop. So all the people that are on Fiverr with the best ways of having logos and intros, most people that do logos and intros and all that stuff do things through Photoshop. You yourself would yeah. do Photoshop. Or you could get um, – there's a few uh, other ones that are out there. Canvas free. Canvas also really awesome. 
Yep. You have um, like, you understand, you have to yeah. take this stuff seriously. If you really want results, you're gonna have to put in some level of serious thought to like, okay, I'll improve at this one day, and then I'll try and improve at something else another day. Yeah, and I think um, you know, I, I think part of the issue that a lot of people have is that they're not really comfortable or focused on marketing. Like, let's say you're making a comic, right? You're making an indie mm. book. That's what you want to do. You you don't really want to figure out like the funnel. You don't really want to figure out, uh, you know, like the click rates and this and that. You just want to write a story and you want to mm -hmm. draw a book. And unfortunately, you know, we don't really live in that world anymore where you could just go ahead and make the product and somebody else is going to do all that marketing stuff and sell it for you. You know, if you're in the Indies, you got to be out there promoting yourself uh, on your channel, on other channels, uh, different social media, Instagram, uh, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Mm. You know, uh, you got to get yourself out there. But a lot of people, um, some of it is people who have been in the industry for a while before social media was necessary and they haven't really made that push or uh, it's people who are, you know, they just want to get in and they haven't realized yet, like, you can't just throw something up on Kickstarter and have it go viral. Like mm -hmm. you need to, you need to prime the pump. You need to get people looking at your product, uh, you know, in, in pretty much whatever way you can. Then uh, the other thing that people have to understand is when you're valuing the results you want, if you're mm -hmm. taking it, I'll say nonchalantly, you have to kind of figure out that, wait a minute, the results I'm putting in is the results I'm going to get. So if you take things with a very laxed approach, you're probably just going to get very lax results. I feel like it's the yeah. the people that, that that more or less what sell at doing this kind of thing, if, if you're doing any other platform too, are the people that are actually taking it seriously. It's really odd that I see someone not take it seriously and then blow up. It's it's I can't yeah. think of really an example in my head that it happens for. Usually X person has an epiphany. They're like, oh, wow coming to jesus moment <laughs> like wait a minute i need to do better i just need to fix it i need to just clean the slate fix everything i'm doing and make it work i don't mm -hmm. really think i've ever seen someone doing any of this where they just did something it's popped up and went so viral and that they, they just kind of figure it out then same thing with like comic books i know you you bring on a lot of any people too obviously i have too what's really odd is you have people come on and they're thinking this is the first creative thing i'm ever going to do and it's going to pop off and it's like that's a really great time to have for yourself i'm mm -hmm. just going to tell you I don't think that's going to happen. That's just not how life works. I wish. Yeah. I wish we could all do that. I really wish all your projects could pop off and have main success. I really, truly do that. I truly wish that could be a case. But given how everything is so competitive, like I said earlier, having that approach in your mind and separating yourself is going to make you go way further than ex Joe Blow nobody, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, uh, for most of October, I was having people on who had mm. like horror related projects. And I remember I contacted this one guy and he's like, oh, no, I'm already doing a show in October. Like you're doing one show in October. You're you have a horror book. This should be your, you know, Black Friday to Christmas period. You should be on shows every day. Uh, you know, but some and, you know, I mean, I don't think the sales of the book are that great. Uh, and, and I think it shows, um, and the, you know, this is sort of the attitude you see from a lot of people like, well, I have my product. People will like my work and see it like, 
No, you got to be out there. It's we don't have spinner racks for people to walk by. You see that meme? I don't know if you're on Facebook. If you've seen this meme, it's in like mm-hmm. these indie writer communities where it's this meme that basically is a caption of, "I don't want to do all social media stuff. I just kind of want to sit and write my story." You know, people that'll like it. And I'm sitting here going, like, how does that have any level of traction? Do people not understand that times? I'm. It's hard because that kind of goes into like weird political territory, but it, I guess this concept could apply here, which is like certain times changing for things doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean it's a bad thing. It just could also mean you need to adapt. That's all it really means. Yeah. So, so sometimes things changing is good. Obviously, not everything, but something like this, when it's changing, people kind of want to know who's making their stuff now. Because, you know, back in the day, you could just watch a random movie like it. You don't know who the hell made it at all because mm-hmm. you could trust that the people that are making it actually want to make a good product. The, the landscape has changed so much from back when you were talking about in like the 60s and the 80s, 50s potentially, oh, yeah. versus now where people are like, hey, I want to know who I'm giving my money to, which is a very fair thing. And that's a very it's a very human thing. God forbid you want to know who you're giving your money to. Fuck me, right? <laughs> so when some of these guys are like, I don't want to do social media, it's like, well, then you are telling me you don't want to put in the work, though. That's that's essentially how how's anybody going to know you exist? I wouldn't know you exist. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really a double-edged sword where, um, you know, in the past, it was really hard to break into any of these kind of media industries. There were a lot of gatekeepers. Um, you you sort of had to know the right people. Uh, you had to get real lucky with uh, your, your story, and it had to be the right one at the right time sort of thing. Uh, whereas now, you know, anybody can publish uh, a novel, a comic, games. Um, movies to an extent, like, you know, how many, how many YouTube channels are effectively TV shows these days, uh, that, you know, you could start at home, but the, the double-edged sword is Mm -hmm. everybody else can do it now too. So, and you don't have that machine behind you pushing you. So you really, if, if you want it to be a career, uh, where you're actually making some money on it, as opposed to just like doing something for fun. Uh, if you want to make it so that a lot of people actually get to see your work, um, you you got to be doing these kind of shows. Um, and, you know, not not necessarily all the time. You know, there's conventions, there's different collaborations with people in in other fields. But, um, you know, basically, you got to get your message out there somewhere. And it's like you said, people like to we're 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 going back almost to the renaissance in my mm-hmm. opinion where it's like a patronage system mm-hmm. um you have your fans who will uh give you money basically for your products like how many people like even eric july you know mm-hmm. how many people bought his book just because they like eric july not because they knew anything about isom or yeah. or they were into comics um people People want to support people that they like and uh, they, but it often feels weird just to ask people for money. However, if you say, Oh, I got a t-shirt. Oh, okay. I'll buy the t-shirt. I got a comic book coming out. Oh, I'll buy that. You know, um, I, I want to make this uh, elaborate movie uh, that I'm going to put on YouTube or whatever, you know, uh, Kick, I want to kickstart it. Give me some seed money and you know, you'll get your name in it and you'll get to see this great movie that uh, you would like to. Uh, and that's sort of where we are. You know, you have to be a little bit more entrepreneurial, uh, mm-hmm. I think, in order to really make your mark. Um, 
But sort of getting back to, to what I said before, uh, it's very hard to create any sort of mass appeal project anymore. Uh, you're much better off targeting it to different sectors. Like, um, yeah, uh, you know, I see Walmart back there. Uh, you know, the um, Tim Lim, you know, he does uh, a very good manga style. Manga is very popular within a certain uh, group of people. So we see Common America, Black Hops, they've really taken mm -hmm. off and they do great. Um, you know, oddly enough, uh, Doug Ernst um, with Soul Finder. Who knew that there was a large enough Catholic audience to really buy a lot of books? Um, <clears throat> so there's all sorts of these small demographics that if you if you knew what they were into, um, like that's the way you got to go as somebody who wants to to come in and, uh, you know, in the creative industry. Yeah, you are right when it comes to the whole YouTube thing, when it's basically isn't YouTube just considered now the new cable for a, a yeah. normal, say modern age. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. really negative connotation to it. But as things have progressed, you know, and also when it comes to this, when it comes to YouTube, you just pay your internet bill, which everyone has mm -hmm. by default. Now a utility to do, you pay an internet bill. You go on YouTube, just pick the people you want to watch. And those are your channels you watch now. That's it. Yep. That's way more less structured and way more freedom given to the people than back in the day where you, you turn on channel five, see Jerry Springer at 11 AM, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And you know, part of it too is, um, like you were saying, all you got to do is pay your cable bill. Uh, and it's the mm -hmm. same thing with Twitter and with Instagram and TikTok uh, and the Facebook even, and all these other platforms where you, you can use these tools for free or mm -hmm. for, for not paying financially to use them. Mm -hmm. However, it's going to cost you in time. You're going to have to put the effort in and the work in to get your stuff out there. If you have money, you can always pay, uh, you know, even starting with Fiverr or getting uh, into to higher quality professional media companies. They'll be happy to make, you know, videos for you to promote your product. Um, but, you know, most of us don't have that kind of money. Uh, you know, that was the, the condition before where if you were um, Tom Clancy and you had a new novel coming out, your publishing company would pay uh, a very professional company to make a commercial for it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, well, you know, Joe Blow making <laughs> his first novel doesn't have that luxury. So he's got to put in the work to get that same kind of exposure that a Tom Clancy would have. Yeah. The thing that you mentioned back there, the commercials, you could just pay a company to make a commercial for you. Now you could do yep. your own commercials. They're going to be like ultra exactly. cringe and porn acting, but you can do your own commercials now. <laughs> You know, if you're fond of the sure. X videos levels of acting, you know, <laughs> why not? Uh, but then, you know, but you got to put that work in. You got to figure out how to actually make a video that looks halfway decent. Um, you know, you, you know, music, no music. Where do you put it? What time do you put it? And the better you get at that kind of stuff, the the more people will be able to see your stuff. Hmm. And. When it comes to your storytelling, you're going to have an Indiegogo campaign or Kickstarter one at some point, right? Mm -hmm. <sighs> yes. Uh, hopefully next year. Yeah. Um, have you been thinking about I, how you want it to look, how you want the tiers or oh structure yeah. or anything like oh that? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the tiers I haven't quite decided yet, but 
Um, so Empire of the Undying Sun is uh, a campaign for D&D 5e. Uh, it's overall a horror campaign that goes from levels 1 to 10. Um, so it's going to have uh, a, a number of things associated with it that we don't really see much anymore. Um, if you go for the print version, we're going to have a really nice print book, all sorts of awesome maps, where even if you say, you know, this story sucks, you could use all of this stuff in your mm -hmm. own campaign, in your own setting, uh, and you would be good to go. Um, you're going to get... Uh, uh, one thing that I never liked is... When you have these campaign books, you often can't show your players because it has like all this secret stuff on the maps and everything. So uh, assuming we hit a stretch goal, um, you are going to get a supplementary book that comes with it that you can give them that has like all the basic info for the world and the races uh, yeah, and the, the concept. The, of, yeah. Yeah. All the lore. Um, but it won't give any secrets away. So, of course, because you spend money on this, you want to show everyone how cool your stuff is, right? Um, and, you know, even if we don't hit that stretch goal, there will definitely be a PDF uh, separate from that. And then uh, the other thing is my site will be live by then. So in this world, um, all sorts of other things happen, right? And uh, if you buy the book, you're going to get a free year subscription to my website where there will be supplementary adventures. So these are all kind of one shots where um, it's designed to play between like three and six hours. Uh, and it's not in the main storyline, but it happens in the same areas around the same time. So um, the way the main story is designed, there's usually a couple months gaps between mm -hmm. adventures. So you could play these other supplementary ones, or you could just take these supplementary adventures, plunk them into any other setting. And it'd be great. Uh, and I've got some great people writing. I've got the dungeon Delver himself, Bill Selby. Uh, he used to work for Gary Gygax, uh, who was the creator of dungeons dragons. He wrote modules for him. I've got three adventures from him coming up. Um, I've got some supplementary ones coming up and, uh, I will probably have others who do that too. So if you back that campaign, you will get, uh, you will get all that stuff, uh, for a year for free. Uh, so I've got lots of thoughts on how I'm going to sell for me. It. I, I heard to myself, I have some point in my life, I'm going to, I'm going to do mm -hmm. something like that. Cause it's kind of cool. Just have mm -hmm. your own story out there and yeah, absolutely maybe resonate with it. What I was going to do is not have any shirts stickers nothing mm -hmm. just the book itself because what i it's nothing that i don't like about a lot of this stuff it's like it, the, the point of the campaign is supposed to just get the book out to people that's the main thing like the book out yep. i think the only stretch goal i would ever have is like unlocking two other variant covers that'd be it mm -hmm. obviously after the main one so it'll just be a campaign where you see you, you see images of the first five pounds of a book the book yourself the digital tier that's it i think a lot of these campaigns end up getting so just convoluted with shirts and all sort of stuff. And it's like the point of the campaign is about the book. I could care less about yeah. shirts. I can go to Walmart, buy fucking five shirts for 10 bucks. I don't care about shirts, you know, or if I want to buy your shirt, I could just get it later on when you have it maybe available later on sometime. Like that's the idea that I, I want to have. Cause it, it just makes things so much less complicated having yeah. all these other extra things. I get it. People might like having extra things at it. That's why I think the variant covers, will have the, the variant covers themselves will cover that extra added thing that people might like. 
but I just don't want any of those stickers, shirts, loot crates. I don't know what people are doing now in campaigns sometimes. I just want the book. You get the book. You're happy with the book. Let's just get it done, you know? Yeah, I, I don't like any of the swag. Um, it always ends up in a drawer. And I personally feel really bad because I know a lot of time and effort went into making those stickers too, yeah. that, I, that, that I won't see for the next seven years. Um, mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Uh, you know, for me, if you're going to have like stretch goals, stretch goals should improve the product that people are buying, like, um, you know, an extra 10 page story. Uh, or, you know, if you are going to have add ons, something related to it, like um, you're going to have a sketchbook that, mm. you know, you add on or something related to that book, you know. Um, but when it comes to like all these other products, keychains and mm-hmm. somebody who was doing Zippo lighters and it's just I don't know. For me, that's just weird. <laughs> you get all this stuff and it's like outside of like maybe like a shirt, everyone's going to wear shirts. All this other stuff is just, it's just useless. Then you're spending more money getting that stuff made because we're making it all from this country and making this country is pretty expensive. Then yep. you still have to worry about shipping it out. And it's, there's just so much more better ways that money and time could have been utilized than any of that stuff. When you finally see the full product, all I care about is the books, the few variant covers that I might have eventually when I'm getting this idea sort out and figured out. So my idea is basically I'm going to write a novel version of the story, not a graphic novel. Right, mm-hmm. right. Something with the way uh, Johnny Douglas did book form. Just oh, nice. Standard traditional book form. Mm-hmm. Print that. Then, if there's enough interest there, then we'll do a campaign. That way, I can gauge if there's enough interest in the story, or if people like that form, I'll just do it in that form for the time being. Because I feel like no one tries to innovate on any yeah. of these strategies. It's just it's just pretty basic standard. It's like, but isn't that what people didn't like about Marvel, DC, Image, Dark Horse, all those guys? It's like how. Are, I don't understand how people could identify that that's a standard boring practice, then still do the same standard boring practice. I just I don't get it. You know, this is supposed to be this is supposed to be creative thinking of different ways to innovate the market, figure out different ways. You said about tapping it a different audience or narrowing yep. in that sector of audience that people that like different ways of things done. I'm pretty sure people are tired of a lot of campaigns with all these different stuff on there. It's just I can understand a digital tier because you know. It's sh- international shipping is a bitch. I I would know. I used to yeah. ship cards out to people. Internationally, it's terrible. Digital, the the freaking physical book, and that's it. That's all you need. That's all people want. You know. Yep. Yeah, uh, the book, and then you know things that are slightly related to it. But to me, if you're putting all this other stuff in there, can't you charge me less? Like, can't you sell your book for less? Because you got to yeah. pay for the stickers. You got to pay for the keychains. Um, you know, make, make the book cheaper and then, mm-hmm. you know, then I'll definitely want to jump on it. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. That's another good point. No one brings up that you did bring up, which is all this extra money you're spending on keychain stickers, shirts, trading cards, book, bookmarks are fine. Outside of that, you could get your book for less money and then you have more backers. Cause generally since yep. things are pretty tough now, right now, the time we're doing this episode, the economy is in a tsunami state. <laughs> You don't really know where their ways are going up. They're going down. People kind of want to know what they're spending their money on because, you know, yep, it could be pretty hard out there. So I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because it feels like people just don't really identify all these other key little intricate factors that make or break someone even wanting to buy the book. Go back to Ren. When you go on an Indiegogo campaign and purchase something, because I've done it several times now at this point, you also have that shipping clause there, too. You're also paying the shipping clause. Then, I mean, yep. it's an American thing to tip. I don't really do that, but. They're adding in $10 for shipping. 
So a person has a $20 book there, it's really $30 because you're paying for the shipping to the, get the book to you yourself. So another thing that applies there as well. And since you already have platform fees as well, all this extra mm -hmm. stuff is just eating away the money you're barely going to be getting anyway. And it's like, we have, it, it should be a very simplified thing. The book, that's all that matters. And, and, or another different cover. Cause I, I, I'm a comic guy. I love me some different covers, even though it's the same fucking freaking book, man. Oh, I hate it. I hate how you buy a book for a cover that you like, then, then it gets re-released like the week later and it has a different cover. That cover looks amazing. I'm like, crap, crap. I yeah. So I, well, you know, I, I have two opinions on that. One uh, thing that I hate is if you're doing like a crowdfunding campaign like this, um, in my opinion, you should never release the same book the same way again, uh, just for collectability. You know, like it'd be easy to say like, boom, this is the printing number one. So if you ever reprint it, I think you should have a different cover. Um, but I, I have the same issue. Like for a while, people were doing these um, Indiegogos where like, oh, we'll release a new cover every two weeks. Like, well, then I'm not going to buy your, your thing right at the beginning because I don't know which cover I want. You know, like, why would you do that? I never got, got that too. That's why I always tell people if, that's why I mentioned before the few stretch goals, if I ever did this, mm -hmm. would be just you getting to a brand new cover. That way, you know, if, because yep. I, I like the idea of different covers, but the problem with the different covers is you get into that thing that you talked about, which is, you don't want to make people feel like they bought the wrong cover. That's the problem. Because yeah. that's what yeah. I always hated. Like, but but usually what I kind of factor in the main cover will look so good. You wanting that second one is going to be a pretty hard decision. That's kind of the idea that I have because I hated getting books where the better cover came out much later on. I hated that. I was like, God damn it, really? And you like you could like the one you pick because I, I feel like people generally pick the best looking ones in general. Like Alpha Air Capital Alpha Core. All of them look so good. You're like, I don't really know what I can pick here. They also all look really good, but they're but they came out all at once though. So you could have that litter of like this is the one I want the most. Indiegogo campaigns don't have that. People are like unlocking five different variant covers, and it's like those look better than what than what this looks like. But I already purchased this, and you already have the cover yep. I want. Shit, fuck. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and I mean then it's like either I didn't get what I want, or mm -hmm. I have to do a chargeback. Um, to the creator and i believe they lose money when you cancel mm -hmm. orders so if i have to cancel and reorder you know they're losing out on that you know i i think you get a main cover if you want an alternative cover you do one or maybe two but you got to release it all at the same time so that people can can make the decision for what they want and uh since you've talked to a lot of the indie creators too is there anything mm -hmm. else that you've picked up that you're probably not going to be doing in your campaign that they've been doing theirs i'm not saying about its campaigns have been wrong or their approach has been wrong but you, you when you start looking at everyone else doing certain things a certain way you start yeah. to look to yourself okay i'm not doing that because i don't think that's actually a good idea but it's not to say that the personal idea is bad it's just you yourself won't be doing it because you don't think it's gonna be a good thing for your own specific campaign and we're gonna hear that and go you're being mean it's like People think differently, guys. It's how it works. Life. People are not gonna do the same things because one, it's not gonna work for someone the way it was gonna work for a different person. It's called life, guys. You might want to live it. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good. That's a really good question. Uh, one really important thing is that mm -hmm. the the market I I feel is really changing. Uh, so if we go back to 2018, when we really see a lot of these creators start to pop up, um, you could just have a couple of images and an idea, and people would back the book. Whereas 
now I think because part of it is because people have been burned so many times, uh, waiting so many years for books Mm -hmm. and, and even weird things where it seems like books are done, but they're not shipped out, uh, and things like that. Like, um, I noticed two really big trends. One is, um, you need more pages. So the, the comic skate, uh, size books were considered between 48 and 60 pages. And I think that's light now. If you want somebody to pay $25 plus $5 to $10 for shipping, um, I think that you need to have at least 80 to 100 pages, closer to a traditional graphic novel size. Um, That's number one. Number two is um, I think you you have to have more of the book completed before you can even launch a campaign because a lot of people are very concerned that yeah. you're just going to disappear with their money. Um, and even, even something like an indie, uh, no, uh, even something like, a like, a uh, Kickstarter where they wouldn't get the money until later. Um, it doesn't seem to, uh, it doesn't seem to really matter. People are are concerned, you know, uh, 25 bucks, 35 bucks is a lot of money to pay for a product these days. And if, if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I want to make sure I'm actually getting it. Oh, I forgot to bring this up. I'm glad I did. Speaking of things where I say, I, f- I forget when the, when the show's over, I am going to have this approach of the variant cover thing. And the other main thing I wanted to bring up is I want to have the book made. I will sacrifice yep. money that I've made to make sure the book is already made in excess of, I don't know how many copies, 200, 300. I don't care. I have a good job. So it doesn't really, really matter at this point. You know, I work <laughs> a lot. So I get money anyway. I'm going to make sure the book is printed. Everything is done. Every, everything's paid mm-hmm. for. And, and that the campaign itself is just to recoup the cost spent. Yeah. You know, I don't want to yeah. have the campaign be the thing that makes me money. I want to have everything paid for already. That's my idea of it. And, I've, and I'm not going to have any, and I'm not going to do any of that until it hits that point. You know, when it comes to like a campaign point of view, I will do the whole written book thing and selling it on Amazon through, you know, you know, buy print on demand kind of thing. Cause I feel like what you said earlier hurts a lot of people and they don't understand that concept, which is the big thing about someone not backing a book can not even come down to maybe they don't like you, like your art or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they don't think the book's coming because they're going to rough you with your money. But if you can show people, there's a box here, here's all the books. Yep. Don't show them the variant covers because that would be stupid. Show, show them the books that, that exist. That is going to give them much more confidence in buying because they know it's done. And if I tell people, hey, the campaign's literally just to recoup the investment back in. That's it. That's it. It's all you need. Everyone's paid for. Let's just not get to ship it to you. That's going to be a much more easier approach because everyone does it where like the campaign is to fund and pay up everybody, but you haven't even really done anything else after that. You still have to do fulfillment. You still have to do shipping the books yep. out. You still have to wait till you yourself get the books. There are going to be issues with that at the printer. Well, I thought to myself, why not just do all that before and then just only have the campaign to recoup the money back? You yeah, know? yeah. That, uh, well, and then the other question is, why do a campaign at all? Um, of what true. a lot of people forget is, you know, Indiegogo, Maybe to fund the next book, actually. That could be an idea probably for Maybe. it. Yeah. But the thing is, um, you can make your own website for next to nothing. Uh, and take blitz.com. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the question is, why are you cutting um, cutting Indiegogo and Kickstarter, you know, that's a piece true. of your profits? That's, so, that's what I didn't even think of. I'm glad you told me that. Okay. So, you know, 
Now, to some extent, it does make sense. So at least in the gaming market with Kickstarter, mm-hmm. there are people who will just go and look for gaming projects and just back tons of stuff mm-hmm. randomly. Um, so you you have to think like, well, these sites are acting as marketing for me, right? So they have their own Kickstarter has its own audience. They're, they're people that I don't have to go recruit will come and potentially look at my product and buy it. So if I give them 10% of the sales, okay, that's, that's really my marketing budget. My bigger mm-hmm. question is um, Indiegogo and then uh, fund my comic. Um, you know, I like Luke Stone a lot. He's a great guy. I think fund my comic looks like it's, it's a good site in the making, but the problem is for, for Indiegogo and, and FMC, you have to bring your own audience there. So if I have to bring, if I have to direct everyone there to see my project, why am I giving them a cut when I could be, you know? Oh, it, yeah. I, I think the, uh, the approach of that is I'm already a guy doing it for you. You just have to bring your audience there because the, people are going to be naturally pretty lazy and creating most of the stuff on their own. If someone already does it for you, mm-hmm. you already have that taken care of too. I think that's the idea behind sure. it. I had Luke on too. Oh, Luke's an awesome guy. It's just, yeah. Oh, oh, and if you forget, so my comic is generally pretty new compared to Indiegogo and Kickstarter yeah. too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's all driven off the idea of you're coming here just for that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's something that people don't think about mm-hmm. uh, and they need to. Um, now, for me, the the bigger thing with Fun My Comic is. Um, they were talking about creating a new distribution company. So, you know, if they create something that's integrated uh, where, you know, you can have your, your campaign on there and then that gives you access to using their distribution service to potentially get into shops. um, Oh, then, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. Or if they have a fulfillment service, um, which, you know, of course that's going to be more money off your profits, but that's, you know, if you have a large enough audience, uh, if you're shipping out a thousand books, uh, gets pretty tough. You know, if you have a smaller audience and it's a hundred books, okay, maybe, maybe you could do that yourself. Um, so, you know, you, you really have to think about the services that you're paying for. That that's another thing is creating your own website would be good. Mm -hmm. The whole, uh, FMC angle is good too. I just, you know, mm-hmm. hope people eventually get into the mindset. Just think about this stuff more before you actually launch something. Cause I feel like the yep. most successful people have thought about most of the stuff about how they wanted to go for a campaign. And then they're the ones that are successful rather than the person that just shows you five sample pages and you know, you're waiting six to eight months for a book. And yeah, some yep. people you're waiting two plus years. Another very famous person out there. As everyone knows, wrote a famous story for uh, or did the art for a famous story based off DC. Person is waiting two years to fulfill his book too. Yeah, down streams. You know, <laughs> to be to be perfectly fair, uh, I believe Rob Liefeld uh, still hasn't delivered his campaign from 2013. So, you know, yeah. it's not just the recent creators. Uh, yeah, this true. stuff has been yeah. going on for a long time. Yeah, the aspect of crowdfunding is the thing of like pirates taking your loot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I man. mean, you know, it's a. Uh, the, the thing is, it's a real crapshoot for both parties, you know, like the 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 more work you have to put into it, 
to start a campaign, you know, the more potential money you've lost. Um, but on the other side, you have the people who fund the projects, uh, you know, they're, they're, they want to see that you have some kind of a track record, uh, so that they feel a little easier knowing that like, okay, if I spend 30 bucks, I'm actually going to get something. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it really sucks when you start because you have to show people that like, yes, I, I am serious. I can deliver this product. Um, and you have to do it with the least amount of money that you could possibly spend because you don't have money coming in yet. Once you, once you get a few product pro projects and you end up, uh, you were talking about profit, you know, once you have that profit, you can start rolling it over into the next project and it becomes easier and easier. But uh, it's a rough time to start. Yeah, there's so much competition out there. And, you know, whether it be creating books, whether it be creating just content in general, we'll be here to do it forever. <laughs> Talking in the voids of the interwebs. We're hoping people will see these episodes at some point. But, you know, I love doing right. this stuff. If there was no one watching, I'd still do it because I just love doing it that much. I can't believe people oh, were absolutely. saying that back in the day. I was like, you're only doing this because you get paid. Oscar. I didn't get paid, but I didn't even get paid on YouTube before. I didn't know how to even do monetization back when you could just get monetization just because it could exist to you. Yeah, I was just doing it because I just I had thoughts about stuff and I just wanted to do videos about those thoughts. That was it. Getting paid for it, it's like I have a job for that. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, any of this kind of stuff. I mean, if you're going to do it, uh, if you get monetized, if you don't get monetized, if you sell a lot of books, if you don't sell a lot of books, the number one thing is you actually have to like what you're doing, or otherwise, mm -hmm. you're just a masochist who's making himself suffer. And the last thing, last two things I'll ask you is outside of your big announcements for 2024, mm -hmm. more more content, doing more things like that. Anything else you want to do with the channel going forward, actually? Um, oh, yeah. So more draw streams. Um, I had some back in, uh, I was doing them 2022 uh, before I, I took my hiatus. Uh, those were a lot of fun. Uh, so like I mentioned, I'm coming out with this book. So hopefully... I will get my camera working again and uh, I will be doing more live draw streams as well. Uh, just intermittently. Um, in some ways it keeps me honest. Like I need to, I need to produce a certain amount of art uh, that's going to go in this book. So like having semi-regular streams makes me say like, all right, I actually have to sit down and go draw for an hour or two. Oh, and any shout outs you want to give to anyone in particular or anything else you want to say before we head out, actually? Uh, yeah, so I uh, Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on my channel, I have John's Longbox. Uh, he is another guy who uh, does interviews and he's also working on his own comic. Uh, so I'll have him on. And then later on Friday night at 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, I will be on the Dungeon Delvers channel playing classic Gamma World where I play uh, Rex Dashington, human in a mech suit. Mm -hmm. um, and then also uh, in December, we are relaunching the Nerd Council of Doom, <laughs> uh, which was a very short-lived show I did with a, a few other guys um, a couple of years ago. We are getting back together. Uh, it is a nerd show where we don't talk about specific hobbies, but how nerdum is affected in general. 
Uh, we will have a Christmas episode where we talk about how to survive uh, as a nerd, how to survive Christmas as a nerd in non-nerd households and uh, gift ideas for your nerdy friends. That's the thing. Having a council of nerdum, that sounds like a way to attract mentally ill people generally. <laughs> you know, I had Mike Barron on, and he mentioned we this might. too. Why does this level of medium attract the weirdest people on this planet? For some reason, this stuff attracts the most weirdest people ever. I don't even know what 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 does it. Maybe just being a maybe I don't know. I just I just thought that was a thing he brought up, and I was like, yeah, I, you're right. Can't really disagree with that one, actually. <laughs> I well, I don't know. You should check out some of the other fandoms. Uh, go Three check ones? out. Kung no, I don't. I don't. Go, that, that go check out like. Kung Fu people, and uh, you'll have people telling you like they can fly through the air mm -hmm. and they can punch through brick walls and you know all this stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. all right, okay. And I was glad to have you back on for a second appearance, man. Can we have you on back again for a third appearance very, very soon? Yeah, and I'd love to come back. Yeah, as you guys know, uh, there's a lot of things happening uh, Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount. Most rare stuff that ended up happening. That is, that was just so tragic. Good <laughs> lord, I can't believe they fired someone for saying that the media only shows one side and they don't show the other side. I, I miss the other things she said too, but the, the final straw from what I've been checking up to do a video on this is uh, she said something along the lines of like, "Why do they only show you one side?" And then if you try to say, "Let's look at both sides," they get rid of you. Yeah, we've been saying that yeah. too for like I don't know, ten plus years. <laughs> these stars uh, are finally getting exactly what we've been saying the entire time it only took i mean you know eight plus years but i guess you could say better late than never right yeah i mean i i don't have a lot of hope for that stuff i think uh independent media is the way to go uh find things you like fund people who you like and if these big companies if they're not doing anything for you no reason to give them your money or your eyeballs that's true. And hopefully you guys had a great Thanksgiving uh, weekend. If you guys are in the States, if you're not in the States and you don't know what the hell these, these U.S. guys are talking about, uh, it's holiday season here. It's like the last, well, October technically starts it. So for like the last two months, we've had holiday season. And December is going to be the big one with Christmas and New Year's coming up very soon too. So hope you guys had a great holiday Thanksgiving weekend. And we know the MCU is currently failing, so... <laughs> yeah i mean and to be fair you can't really blame anyone but themselves because who could tank a 30 billion dollar franchise the people that run it because one of the fans the fans supported it fans came out and watched yep. the movies yeah that's the thing you can't blame the fans on that one because they went and supported the movies the only people you can blame is yourself for the stuff failing because i don't know you're the one making the content you're the one hiring race swapped actors to play certain white characters i don't get it just don't yep. get it, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we'll see you guys later. Have a great night, everybody. Right. Peace Bye. out.